A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 398. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Alice Through the Looking Glass. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. So we are talking about this quite faithful adaptation of Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, which was first broadcast on the BBC on Christmas Day of 1973. It runs for about 66 minutes, and it features Sarah Sutton, who would much later be Nyssa, a Doctor Who companion, here as the lead as Alice. And she also will encounter a wide range of typical Lewis Carolian colourful characters, all filmed, or nearly all filmed, on a sort of CSO, chroma key, or blue screen background. So that's the technology they're using for most of the Through the Looking Glass world. Yes, absolutely. So last time we took Alice through the Looking Glass and into the topsy-turvy world and started to have some of these strange encounters and learning the strange rules of the Looking Glass world, where things don't operate the way she's used to, where you have to run fast to stay in the same place. And if you want to meet someone who's approaching you, you have to walk away from them in order to meet them. So she starts to learn these rules and does it in a quite sort of childlike and charming fashion. And of course, she bumps into these characters from a chess set, from a chess game, and also creatures from Lewis Carroll's fantastic imagination will sort of come and interact and disappear and so on. So there's lots of encounters for her. And also lots of bits where she's on her own and has to sort of speak in monologue, which actually works quite well as well. And of course, along the way, she's got some very well-known creatures or characters to meet. She will meet Humpty Dumpty and the Jabberwock created with this costume puppet combination with lots of things that look quite like the John Tenniel illustrations. Very much so, I thought. And of course, being all nonsensical in Lewis Carroll's way, the chess motifs fit with that in the way that when Alice starts as a pawn, she she will reach the eighth rank to become queen. There is a chess game that sort of plays out through her adventures, isn't there? There's a, you can sort of... I know it doesn't make complete sense. Possibly the annotated version that you referred to last time might explain it a bit better. It might, but looking for something to make sense in terms of chess, when you're talking about Lewis Carroll, it's almost the point that things don't make sense. This is true, yes. And it brings us to some fun interactions with both the White Queen and the Red Queen, and there's a banquet in Alice's honor, so we get all of these things from the book coming in. It's interesting and of course completely fantastic stuff and we've got on the BBC in 1973 from writer-director James McTaggart and producer Rosemary Hill we've got this 
I'm going to say a fairly faithful version of Lewis Carroll's book, Brian, particularly, as you said last time, they've they've really wanted to include the poetry. And so we either get the performances of the poems or we get Alice or other characters delivering them verbatim. And then we've got this beautiful look to the production where it looks like John Tenniel's drawings. And even, you know, people will think I'm obsessed with this blue dress, but even the fact that they couldn't use a blue dress and they've put her in a sort of yellowy, brownish dress that gives it this sort of Victorian, almost sepia tint effect, which seems to work for the time period, I think. It makes it look like a Victorian novel on the screen what did you think about the sort of you know the things they've done with the adaptation oh i think they did some very nice things with this i it was very well thought out and it goes in almost the opposite direction of jonathan miller's 1966 production of alice in wonderland that we talked about where that was moving sharply away from having animal costumes and moved to things having a much more sort of realistic look to them. Where here we have all sorts of animal costumes and we have mostly sort of non-realistic looking backgrounds. Uh, We're rarely on set. We're usually with an illustrated type of background. And those characters, those sort of animal-like characters, they look like the animals. They look like the drawings, don't they? Yes, we have the sheep shopkeeper and the walrus, the goat, the lion and the unicorn. I thought the unicorn looking particularly sharp. And Haga and Hatta, uh, all of that is here. And it's all very recognizably a Lewis Carroll world. And we should say that Haga and Hatta do look like the March Hare and the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland, which is, I think, is sort of how they're portrayed. And they seem to be those characters, possibly again. Now, we've coming back to this thorny question that I keep bringing up, Brian. <laughs> which is what sort of adaptation of a classic do we prefer? Do we want to see it faithfully uh, depicted on screen? Do we want to see them trying to do new and perhaps, you know, challenging or interesting things with the classic and make changes to it? And can you stay faithful to a book when you're trying to make it a visual, making it a sort of television series or television film like this one it's always challenging it's always one of the ones that we never quite decide on brian but we talk about it quite often yes and i think there is room for both uh there's room for both faithful adaptations and adaptations that vary a lot from the uh, from the source material I tend to like faithful adaptations, but you can have problems of trying to make things too faithful where you end up with things being a little hard to understand because you're not working in the the text medium with it with its explanations. So it it varies a lot, but I think that is bringing us nicely into our own thoughts about this. So, Eamon, what did you like about Alice Through the Looking Glass? Well, you've described one of the challenges of any production of Alice, either in Wonderland or Through the Looking Glass, which is the central character of Alice herself. It has to be played by a young actor, and here we have the 11-year-old Sarah Sutton really having to carry a lot of this production on her, you know, small shoulders. She's up against some remarkable actors... 
she's up against scenery and creatures that may not be completely there for her. Plus, as you said, Brian, she's got all that narration and monologue to do. And she's quite remarkable, I think. I think she really carries the production and does a great job. What did you think of her? Yeah, I agree. I think she did very well with this. She has a lot of monologue, much of it in verse, and she has to interact with all of these characters. In some of those blue screen things, you can tell that she was not in the same shot as the actors she's acting against. I don't know if they were present on on set, as it were, at at the time or not, but they were clearly not being filmed at the same time in some cases. And yeah, she came across quite well. I think there was some some personality there and she helped keep the the momentum of it going. Yeah, I was quite pleased with with her performance in this. Great stuff. What about the rest of the cast? Because we have some notables from British screen here in this production. Yeah, it's it's certainly hard to complain about them. Both queens, I thought, were wonderful, particularly. That's Judy Parfitt and Brenda Bruce, both doing fine stuff. Uh, Freddie Jones as Humpty Dumpty, you know, instantly recognisable Freddie Jones voice. uh, And you see his face projected onto the, the costume. And then Jeffrey Bailden as the as the, the White Knight, you know, he, as you say, Brian, he's always played old and he's always been great whenever he turns up on screen. Yes, you have a lot of actors bringing a lot of character to this. They're uh, playing, you know, characters that bring some absurdity to it and that fantastical feel. So this really does feel like it's out of the pages of a Lewis Carroll book. Indeed. And talking about out of a Lewis Carroll book, what about the look and the sound of this production, Brian? What did you make of that? I quite liked it. I liked the fact that they did not go for realistic backgrounds. They went for drawings as backgrounds, really. It was more like the type of backgrounds you might see in some types of animation, although it was sort of all, you know, they were fixed backgrounds. Yeah, for this, because you're dealing with this type of story, I quite liked it. Yeah, I think it looks superb. I think the way that they have recreated the look and feel of John Tenniel's original illustrations in the costumes, the creature designs, the backdrop... It all, you know, it's amazing. And I'm going to particularly, you know I'm going to say this, Brian, but I'm going to particularly shout out the Jabberwocky or the Jabberwock sort of costume puppetry combination that looks almost exactly like John Tenniel's glorious illustration. I was really quite impressed with that. I thought that worked very well. Yes, that worked well. Humpty Dumpty worked quite well also. Indeed, yes, he was great. And when you put Freddie Jones his voice and face onto it, it gives you something memorable. It gives you something that is loud and abrasive and very much what you what you expect for Humpty Dumpty. And of course, they've included lots of Lewis Carroll, haven't they? They've included lots from the book. They've really tried to squeeze it in. Uh, in particular, they wanted to get the poems in and they work, I think, pretty well, don't they? Yes, and they do things like the running in the spot and the talking flowers and, you know, walking towards something and away from something. Things that are pretty challenging 
they made them work pretty well. And I think part of the reason that they did work well is that they were not going for a realistic look. They were going for something where you had illustrations as the as the backdrops. And I think that was a lot of what made it work. Right. Interesting stuff, yes. They've sort of chosen the you know the way they wanted to do it and the bits of Lewis Carroll they wanted to get there and they've sort of managed to achieve it in a sort of fairly smallish production but you know amazingly well done. Yeah, there was a lot of attention to detail in this. I think. Yeah, really was. So that's what I've got in the positive column. Are we ready to move to a few negatives? Sure. Why don't you start with that? So the note I've made is about the chroma key, the color separation overlay or the blue screen filming, which is obviously hugely important for a production like this because it's mostly Alice on these drawn or painted backdrops that aren't really there. And in the 70s, I think the BBC was really getting to grips with this and pulling it off to a greater or lesser extent, you get that sort of edgy effect around the edge of costumes and characters uh, where sometimes it blurs in with the background. I don't know what the phrase is for that effect, Brian, but it was noticeable in this production, I thought. Yes, and they were doing so much of it that I could see that it would be hard to keep that out. But yeah, I think you're right, and I think the negative aspects of this are all going to be around it not being a more modern production or a higher budget production it looks good for what it is it is not as slick as some other productions of alice in wonderland are it's not going to be as slick as the Irwin Allen television production from the mid-80s that was very slick indeed, or the newer movies with Johnny Depp, or in some respects even the classic Disney animation. But I think without being slick in that way, it still works well and looks good. I think they managed quite a lot with a little in a way, didn't they? Yes. Is it a little bit rushed in its running time? This is unusual for me to say this because I normally like shorter rather than longer, but did they try to squeeze in quite a lot in that just over an hour? They did squeeze in a lot and I think it could have probably worked well with uh, with a little more time, but I think they they managed that okay. I think it worked for, for me that worked fairly well. But yes, I think they probably could have made good use of an extra 10 or 20 minutes. I'm puzzled about the broadcast time after nine o'clock on BBC Two on Christmas Day. Seems an unusual time slot for this production. I would have thought it would have been earlier in the day so that, you know, families could watch it together. And I'm sure it must have been repeated in a more child-friendly slot at some point, but I don't know the details of that. Um, just seems odd to sneak this one out quite late on Christmas Day. Yes, there may have been some sort of scheduling change where the slot that it would have had was needed for something else. Uh, I don't know. But yes, it does seem like an odd way to do things. The only other sort of mark against it that I had was the fact that it is quite difficult to get hold of and quite expensive for what it is. You've got to get the Region 1 DVD now. So over here, you need to have a, um, a multi-region player to, to watch it. And it's currently £17 on that import, which seems quite pricey, I think, compared to some of the titles we've been talking about recently. Yes, it's less expensive here, but you do need to get it on disc. It isn't 
available in any streaming form that I'm aware of. Yeah, if anybody knows where it is streaming legally, please let us know. And I will note the other quote-unquote negative for this is that they did not do a matching version of Alice in Wonderland. I really enjoyed this. It would have been nice to see both books done in this style with Sarah Sutton at that time. She's so good. She could have carried Alice in Wonderland as well. I know from the DVD release that they've tried to pair it with the 86 version. And you you say that that people do say it makes a good companion piece. I have heard that, yes. Yeah, we will perhaps find out in the future when we get to the 86 version ourselves. But uh, yeah, it it does seem strange to just do this one and not do the other. Yeah, and I haven't seen the movie that had come out before that they were thinking about. So I don't know all of the details of the context, but it is unusual. I'm not aware of any other adaptation for the Alice books where they've only done book two. There certainly are things where they've done both books as one production, or they've done book two as a sequel to book one. I haven't seen it like this before. Okay. I do remember the 1972 movie version, British film version, being on television when I was young. So maybe it was because, again, of the sort of like popularity and the fact that they could show that on TV, that they went just for Through the Looking Glass. Yeah, okay. Interesting that there's no sort of companion piece. Okay, fair enough. So shall we get to our recommendations? Yes, we should. I think we should tell our listeners whether they should chase down this DVD. Whose turn is it to go? Shall I go first? You can go first. So I'm going to say that the obstacle is the price and the availability. And it's slightly, I think, overpriced for what for just over an hour of television. I do think Sarah Sutton's performance and the look and the design of the production is great. So if you've got an interest in Lewis Carroll in the original novel in seeing a very faithful BBC version, then I would say, yes, get the DVD and have a look at this one. But keep an eye out for it to turn up on streaming at some point in the future, and maybe that's the way to go. So it's a sort of cautious thumb wavering upwards from me brian what about yourself i will recommend this i quite enjoyed this i watched it a couple a couple of times now and i enjoyed it the second time more than the first it is a well put together production that does some very nice things with it and sarah sutton does a great job in the lead and the rest of the cast is also very good yeah, it's too bad at the moment it's it's only on DVD. Like I say over here, the pricing is a fair bit better. But yes, I would definitely recommend this one. It's worth checking out. Great stuff. If you've seen it, if you watch it after hearing our review, please do get in touch and tell us your own views about this. Come to the Facebook or the Twitter and let us know. Absolutely. So, in summary, Alice Through the Looking Glass introduces us to young Alice, who is in a room looking at the mirror or the looking glass, and by pushing against it is able to go through into this mirrored world where things are in reverse and the rules of the world are different than we have chess influences with a white queen and a red queen and other chess related characters and anthropomorphic animals and all sorts of things coming to life and a journey 
that is reflected in the structure of a chess game. Great stuff, fantastical worlds, and one to look out for if it becomes easily available. Yes, absolutely. And please come and join us next time. We're staying with children's television. We're going into 1991 this time with a production of E. Nesbitt's Five Children and It. And again, we've got a sort of classic of children's literature to talk about next time, Brian. Yes, absolutely. And it's the second time we'll be covering an Edith Nesbitt novel because we've already covered The Phoenix and the Carpet, which is from the same series. One to compare. Absolutely. So until then, you can find us at BritishInvaders.com. All of our past episodes are there. Or if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there and join in on the discussion with things. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at Brit Invaders Pod. And you can also find us at the Voice of Geeks Network, where British Invaders is a proud member at vognetwork.com. You'll find us, you'll find some other podcasts, you'll find some gaming stuff, some Twitch streaming and so on. Lots to find and explore at vognetwork.com. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, it's Eamon in England saying, I think it's your move next, Brian. <laughs> <laughs>